but obviously as someone in the news, I I have been following um, the fall of their lead singer, Jacob Hogard, who um, you know is one of the most popular rock frontmen in this country for quite a while. So from rock star to convict today, uh, the lead singer of the band Headley, or former lead singer, was headed a five-year sentence in a Toronto courtroom today after being convicted of sexual assault causing bodily harm. That was back in June. Uh, Hogard has been granted bail pending an appeal of the verdict. He has been out on bail, I gather, throughout the court process, staying at home in BC, here where he's from. Again, in June, a jury found Hogard guilty of sexually assaulting an Ottawa woman in 2016 and causing her bodily harm, but not guilty of sexually assaulting a teen fan when she was 15. Also in 2016, the jury deliberated for quite a long time before handing down those verdicts. Uh, Hogarth went from an audition for Canadian Idol, again, to one of the country's most bankable rock stars. But along with his growing fame came allegations of increasing sexual violence and sexual misconduct that included uh, campaigns on social media. And then eventually, uh, two courageous women coming forward, because we all know how difficult it is in these situations uh, for women to come forward and tell their stories. And in this case, a conviction against someone um, who was in a position of real power, especially at the time when these, uh, when this offense occurred, when this crime occurred. Um, so again, there was a, a thought today, and a thank you from the prosecutor in this case, uh, to both the women who came forward and shared their stories in both a preliminary inquiry, and then again at trial, and then again at uh, the victim impact statement stage of the sentencing. Uh, with more on this and what it means and how it all unfolded in court today and over the course of the trial, what happens next? Uh, joining me now is Alicia Hasham. She's the courts reporter with the Toronto Star. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. So uh, a sentence handed down today. Uh, is it what was expected? Yeah, it was um, expected. It was sort of right in the middle of what the Crown and the defense were asking for. Um, although it's important to know that the judge said she would have given him a higher sentence if he didn't have what will likely be a significant civil damages award um, hanging over him. Really? Uh, but he has been granted bail, and that may come as a bit of a surprise to people who uh, might see the word sentence and expect him to be behind bars tonight. Absolutely. I think that um, it would be surprising perhaps to the general public, although it is not surprising to many legal experts who had predicted that he would be released on bail uh, in light of a Supreme Court decision from a few years ago that basically stresses if you have um, an arguable appeal and you're not a danger to the public, and, and the Crown in this instance was not arguing that he was a danger to the public or a flight risk, that you're a very good candidate for bail. And so legally not a surprise, but certainly um, given the seriousness of what he was convicted of and the strong words from the judge today, um, kind of shocking for sure. Yeah. Tell me a bit about, uh, about the sentencing itself. Um, what was, uh, what did the judge use as the reasoning for the five years that was handed? Yeah. So he was convicted of sexual assault causing bodily harm. And, you know, we heard testimony during the t trial, really sort of searing emotional testimony from this young woman who described an extremely brutal, graphic, disturbing um, series of events in this hotel room. Um, and essentially, the judge said very simply, 
today. Um, I believe her. I believe her evidence in its entirety. So everything that this woman said happened in this hotel room, she accepted as factual. Um, again, a lot of it was extremely biased. She was left with um, injuries, uh, bruising, and obviously deep psychological trauma. And so the judge today looked at all of that um, and took all of that into account in, in coming to her sentence and sort of first making these kind of factual findings because, as we know, juries don't give reasons for their decisions, and we don't know what the jury thought other than that they found him guilty. Uh, so that was a really significant part of what happened today, that the judge accepted everything that this young woman said happened. Right. So listeners understand, I mean, all the way through, uh, Hogar didn't deny that these encounters had happened, but said they were consensual. So this became, uh, as we used to say back way, way back when, that this was a bit of a he said, she said case. And in this case, the jury very much believed what she had to say. Absolutely. Although it's important to know that he was acquitted of uh, charges in relation to another complainant who is a, a teenage fan. In fact, she was 15 when they first met, um, which is significant in the sense of, you know, you know, the jury looked very carefully at all of the evidence um, and made were very thoughtful in coming to their decision. What has it been like? I mean, he, he's well known. Uh, trials that involve people who are well known always take on a slightly different dynamic. You've covered it from the mm -hmm. beginning. What was his what was his demeanor like through all of this? He was very calm, very reserved. Um, he came to court every day with his wife, um, who was by his side throughout. I think he was just very, very quiet. There was none of the sort of showmanship or exuberance that people who remember Headley or remember him even from back in the days when he was on Canadian Idol back in the early 2000s. There was very little of that on display in the courtroom. It was very subdued, very serious. Have you spoken with any of the, anybody on the on the prosecution side? Have you spoken to anybody about their reaction to the verdict, to the sentence, uh, to everything that's unfolded in this case? Yeah, we heard from the prosecutors today. Um, I think you know they said this sends a strong message that sexual violence won't be tolerated in our community, and you know they also took the time to commend both complainants for coming forward um, because without them doing that. Um, they wouldn't have been able to do this prosecution. Um, and in fact, there's another uh, pending trial that will take place next year involving a third woman. You know, it's important, I think, to remember that these women came forward in part because of each other, the sort of they gave each other the strength to come forward. So there was an acknowledgement from the prosecution about sort of what the courage that it took to go through a really what has been a really difficult process for these young women. Yeah, and I, I can imagine that even as you mentioned, there was there was two different cases here, two different um, uh, accusations here, and that that one of them he was found guilty of, the other one he was not. So, uh, as you mentioned, the jury must have taken. A, I know for a fact the jury deliberated for a very long time before they came to these verdicts. Is there any chance? Uh, I mean, I suspect there would probably be an appeal on his part. There's absolutely going to be an appeal on his part. We, in fact, today it was sort of. Um, I won't say it's unusual, but it was, you know, at 9 a.m. we were in the courtroom. He was sentenced to five years in prison. That afternoon we were in the court of appeal and he was asking to be released pending his appeal. So and then he was, in fact, released um, just this evening. So, you know, yes, he will absolutely be appealing. Um, whether or not that appeal will be successful is very much up for debate. 
You've also looked, Alicia, you've also looked into a bit of how this all came about. For listeners who aren't entirely familiar with where this story began, um, it really sort of began organically and then snowballed with a lot of rumors about really abhorrent behavior, but then it all sort of came together. And then ultimately with these two women who had the courage to step forward and tell their stories in a court of law. Yeah, I mean, you know, Headley was uh, this band that started in Vancouver and became incredibly popular over sort of the course of the 2000s. Um, you know, their fans are predominantly sort of teenage girls, young women. Um, but in 2016, and if you think back to 2016, it was a time when you know, we were talking about the Me Too movement. Um, we were hearing a lot more about sort of, you know, power dynamics and about um, men in powerful positions using that um, sort of cover of, of, of power and fame and of um, wealth and all of these other things to uh, abuse uh, women, particularly young women. Um, and it was in that context that on Twitter, people began um, sharing. In fact, one person started compiling these stories about um, what they were hearing about mm-hmm. Jacob Hogard and it was through that process that ultimately one woman came forward to the CBC, told her story, and then decided to go to the police. And she was followed by another woman. And then later on, a third woman, um, much later in 2018. So it sort of took, there was a bit of a snowball. Sorry, my bad. Um, this happened in 2018. The assaults themselves took place in 2016. So it was 2018 when we started hearing about these allegations and then that the, the complainants ultimately went to the police. Um, when you look at, I mean, I, I'm sure you looked into this while covering it, but you, you're right. I mean, with the with the power dynamics here, um, and you mentioned it earlier that that the prosecution felt this sent a message. Does it? I mean, is that the impression you got watching this unfold? That um, that a prosecution was made more difficult because of his fame, and we remember all the different cases, even the ones that are going on today, with people accused of similar things having been in similar positions as Jacob Hogard. You know, I think you can look at it from a couple of different ways. You know, when you have, it's very difficult to have a high profile trial kind of act as an example of what, of everything that's happening in our justice system and to hold sort of one case to that kind of standard and go like, look, this is how complainants are treated in, in sexual assault cases or look, this person did or did not get convicted. And that means that people are not are not getting convicted there we know that uh, sex assault cases are extremely difficult for complainants to go through we know that the conviction rate is lower than in other cases but i think you could look at it and and go it was difficult but ultimately you know for i think perhaps for both complaints ultimately even though there was an acquittal in the other one that justice was done that there has been some kind of accountability but I know that the um, you know woman who gave her victim impact statement after going through this trial process also talked about how deeply traumatizing and how difficult it was to do that and how this re-traumatized her. And you do have to like you know this trial really showed the sort of cost um, the cost of of going through something like this. And so I think you could look at this trial and say like there was a conviction, there has been a sentence, there can be maybe a sense of justice for victim but also it came at a large cost to her and there's more more to come too you mentioned there is another trial that awaits what is next now for jacob hogard so the the very next thing that will happen is that this appeal is going to be argued because 
he faces another charge of sexual assault that's linked also from 2016, linked to a music festival in the Kirkland Lake area. And it's, the allegations are quite similar to the allegations that were made in this trial against a young woman in a hotel room um, as of allegations of, of violent and degrading sexual acts. Um, and they want to introduce the evidence of, similarly to what happened at this trial, the evidence of um, the victim in the, the case that just finished uh, to sort of show that there's a pattern that, that there's, you know, it's not just a one-off type thing. It's, it's called a similar fact application. And it just is used to strengthen the Crown's case. So before any of that can happen, they want to have this appeal decided. So the first thing that's going to happen is the appeal, and then there's going to be a, another another trial involving another woman, and then um, and then we'll see what will happen after that. At a civil case as well, right? And yes, at a civil case as well. Um, I guess those typically don't go to trial, but yes, a $2.8 million lawsuit was filed um, just this month by the victim in this case against Hogarth, and it seems very, very likely that some kind of damages award will be will be made against him uh, and that that damages award will have to be paid. Alicia Hashem, thank you so much for uh, for catching us up on all that's happened today. Um, thank you. Thank you again. Uh, interesting stuff. Thank you so much for having me.